Thank you, Trudy. Andrew Greeley wrote, For some people, Christmas is the worst time of the year. Suicide rates go up. More people die of natural causes. Marriages fall apart. Psychiatrist patients suffer regressions. Religious communities are torn asunder. New family feuds are begun, and many alcoholics venture forth on technicolor binges. Well, we probably all would say that is uh, perhaps a little cynical, but we all know the stress and the pressures of Christmas. Home for the holidays is not a happy thought for some people. I remember when Linda and I were young marrieds and we would go home, it seemed as if our parents had stopwatches, and if we stayed two minutes longer at one place than we did at the other, then they were aggravated at us, and so it wasn't really something that we looked forward to because of that. And then there are the gifts. Gifts are expected, but what do you get that's accepted? And... Uh, Ladies, I'm going to give you some help today. I know you're struggling about what to get your husband for Christmas, and I'm going to give you some help. Get him a screwdriver, a hammer, a saw, a weed eater, because men like tools. So just get him a, some kind of a screwdriver. See, the reason, we might not know what they are or what they do, but when our friends come over, we like to take them out in the garage and say, look these tools. <laughs> I mean, this leaf blower has more power than a 1957 Chevrolet. I can blow the leaves out of my neighbor's yard. So we like things like that. So just get him a screwdriver. He'll think it's the best gift he's ever had. Now, men, I'm going to give you a little bit of help concerning your wife's gift. Don't get her anything that plugs in. I, I really don't understand that, but uh, if you get her something that she plugs into an outlet, it ain't going to be a good Christmas. I remember one year I got Linda a vacuum cleaner, and I'm not talking about a cheap vacuum cleaner. I'm talking about state-of-the-art vacuum cleaner. This is a guy was proud of it. Any man would be proud of this tool. And so I got her this vacuum cleaner, and she has not forgiven me yet. So don't get her anything that she plugs in. If she has to plug it in, it is not going to be a good year. Christmas has a lot of stress to it because of the change in routine. There's nothing about it that is normal. The way we spend money, that's not normal. The way we spend our time, that is not normal. So there is a lot of stress that comes at Christmas time. Someone said that it is the time of uh, the quick cash and a mad dash, and that pretty well describes Christmas. So what I want to do today is try to help you have as stress-free of a Christmas as possible. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. We'll begin reading in verse number 28, a very familiar passage of Scripture that has nothing to do with Christmas, but might help. Verse 28. Do you not know, have you not heard... The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. 
Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Now, there are three basic contributors to our stress. First of all, there is the expectation of others. What other people think of us or expect from us causes a considerable amount of stress on us. Now, that's true at work. We know that in many businesses, 40% of their income is made during the Christmas season. Because that is true, then that puts a tremendous stress and pressure on us to perform at that time and to make a profit at that time. Because if you don't, then you're not going to make it. So there is the stress that comes from the expectation at work. And then there's also stress even that comes from the church. To be candid with you, by the time Christmas is over, the staff is exhausted. Now, Steve and the choir and the orchestra and all of those who are involved in, in the pageant, they are worn out by the time we get finished with Christmas. They've been down here planning and working on the Christmas pageant since August. And so they are worn out by the time that it's over, except for Wayne. Now... <laughs> Wayne is just like the Energizer Bunny. He just keeps on going. He is not at all tired. He's doing just fine. But the rest of them are worn out. And then there's the education staff. They, they have all the plans that they have to make, the parties that they have to attend, and so forth. So by the time they get through with Christmas, they are exhausted as well. And then Barbara Porter, uh, her workload concerning benevolence has increased uh, tremendously during the Christmas spirit and or Christmas time and so she is tired as well and then Richard Johnson our business administrator let me tell you something he's down here 24 hours a day during the month of December waiting for year-end offerings <laughs> you can call him at 11 o'clock at night and he'll answer the phone and say uh, I've, I've got a check for $12 he says I'll be here now, if you have a check for $100, he'll come to your home. But by the time he gets finished, he is exhausted as a result of it. Then the support staff, the custodians. I mean, after every performance of the Christmas pageant, they have to clean things up, get ready for the next one. They are exhausted. The assistants, all of them, they are all exhausted. So there is a lot of stress that is put on the staff, and they are exhausted by the time Christmas is over. And then there are the expectations of families as well. There are the Christmas visits. There are the Christmas presents. My grandchildren have stopped telling me what they want now. They just circle items in a magazine and hand it to me. And uh, so they have all of those expectations as to what they want. And then, of course, there are divorced parents. And they are having to try to coordinate the schedule so that the children are where they are supposed to be. I say all of that simply to say that there is a lot of stress that ends up on us because of the expectations of other people. But then there is something else that causes stress. Unconfessed sin. Undealt with sin in our life. I think that during the Christmas season that there is an intensity about sin we have not dealt with in our lives. We are just very sensitive to it. 
And so if you have sin in your life that you have not dealt with, then it is going to cause a certain stress on you and you will lose your strength. For instance, the Bible tells us that Samson was an incredibly strong man. He ripped apart a lion with his bare hands. The Bible says that he took the jawbone of a donkey and slew a thousand Philistines, and yet sin came into his life and he lost his strength as a result of it. You see, folks, when there is unconfessed sin in our life, there is undealt with sin in our life, it always saps our strength. Let me give you another example, and that would be uh, Solomon. Solomon was anointed to be the new king of Israel, and you recall that he prayed asking the Lord for wisdom. And the Bible says that God gave him wisdom. However, as time went on, he seems to have lost sight of his wisdom, and he also fell into sin. The Bible says in 1 Kings 11, verses 3 and 4, And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. Now, can you imagine that kind of stress? In fact, in my devotional time this morning, I was reading in Proverbs, and Solomon had written in there, and uh, he said, It is better to live in the corner of the roof than with a contentious woman. Now, he knew what he was talking about. And his wives turned his heart away. For it came about when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God. And in fact, Solomon came to the end of his life and concluded that it is vanity, it is empty, it is meaningless. All of these things, he said, they are empty, they mean nothing to me. Folks, when we have unconfessed sin in our life, it always causes stress in our life. Now, let me tell you how it affects us. First of all, it affects us spiritually. When you allow sin to continue in your life, then you are left without spiritual power. There's no spiritual power in our life when we entertain sin in our lives. It affects us spiritually. It affects us physically. The Scripture says in Psalm 38, 3, There is no health in my bones because of my sin. Now, I'm certainly not saying that all of our illness is the result of sin, but I know that sin affects us physically. It affects us spiritually, it affects us physically, it affects us emotionally. Psalm 38, 18, I am full of anxiety because of my sin. It affects us emotionally. When we allow sin to be in our lives, then we are affected emotionally because we're scared that someone's going to find out. And there is the guilt that goes with it. The third thing is that Satan attacks us. When there is sin in our life, Satan attacks us. And folks, Satan always attacks us at our point of weakness. And sometimes that's physical weakness. There is a story in the Old Testament about Elijah, and you recall that he had a contest with the prophets of Baal as to whose God was the real God. And uh, they, they set up this altar of sacrifice, and, and whoever had the real God, the God would answer by fire. And you remember the story, and he prayed. And the Bible says that the fire fell when Elijah prayed, and the sacrifice was consumed. Now, it was immediately after that tremendous display of the power of God that Jezebel threatened his life. 
And now then, this man who had been so bold up on Mount Carmel runs for his life. In fact, he runs for about 80 miles. And we read about him being under the juniper tree, feeling sorry for himself. He is exhausted. He is worn out. And he says, Lord, I'm the only person serving you. Nobody else serves you. I'm the only one faithful. So he's having a pity party. And then he comes to the place and he says, you know, just go ahead and take my life. I am ready to die. He is depressed. He is despondent. And he's ready to die. And the angel said, you know what you need? You need some rest, so why don't you go to sleep for a while? But what I'm saying to you is that when we are physically exhausted, when we are physically worn out, you better be aware that that is a point of weakness in our lives, and Satan will attack us at that point of weakness. He attacks us where we are weak. He attacks us physically. He attacks us emotionally when we are weak there. A good example of that would be Moses. Moses was leading the people of Israel through the wilderness, and, and uh, they were constantly complaining. They complained all the way. They didn't like anything that he did. They complained all the way. Moses then came to the place where he said to God, I'm ready to die. If this is what it is, then I'm ready to go home. Just take me on home, but give me some relief. Satan had attacked him at that point. He was emotionally spent, and at that point, Satan attacked him, and he was ready to die. When we are weak spiritually, Satan attacks us there. And a good example of that would be Jonah. God said to Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach my word to those people that they might repent of sin and turn to me. Jonah instead went to Tarshish. He rebelled against God. And because of his spiritual rebellion, Satan attacked him at that point, And Jonah also came to the point where he said that he was ready to die. I'm saying to you that there are three basic contributors to stress. One of them is the expectation of others. The second one is an undealt with sin. When you do not deal with sin in your life, you try to tolerate it. You try to live with it. It is going to be a place that is going to be attacked. And then thirdly, Satan will attack you. Now, there's a promise we see in verse number 31 of our text. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. Two important words here. First of all is will. Will gain. He didn't say you might gain new strength. He said you will gain new strength. The second word is gain. Now, I looked at one commentary concerning that, and it had an interesting definition. It says it means to exchange one for another. To exchange one for another. You see, Trudy was singing the song a while ago, We have been changed by the power of His touch. We have been changed, and we have. But the Christian life is more than just a changed life. It is an exchanged life. When you come to Jesus Christ, there is an exchange that takes place. First of all, we exchange our life for His life. That's what Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. It is no longer I who lives. Do you realize that when you become a child of God, that you are born again, that you are saved, that you have exchanged your life for His life. It is no longer I who lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. We exchange our life for His life. We exchange our unrighteousness for His righteousness. That's what the cross is all about. Jesus took 
our sins upon himself at the cross. And he paid for our sins. And the Bible says then that his righteousness is imputed to us. The word impute that is used is a bookkeeping term. And it means to transfer to another account. So what it is saying is that when Jesus paid for our sins, he died on the cross. Then he imputed his righteousness to us. He took the righteousness from his account and put it in my account. And so now that I'm righteous, not because of anything within me, but because I now have the righteousness of Jesus. And so the righteousness of Christ is mine. I exchange my unrighteousness for his righteousness. We exchange our weakness for his strength. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. That, uh, that is, uh, that's very interesting to me. It's amazing to me. Let me just tell you from my vantage point as a preacher. There are times you write a sermon, and uh, whenever you're looking at it later, you think, you know, that is a really good sermon. And you get up and preach it, and it's the worst thing you've ever heard. And then there are times you write a sermon, and you just, I mean, you know, it's so bad, you really spend time in prayer. God, this thing is not going to work unless you do something. And you preach, and, and uh, there's just great power. And it is always a reminder to me that it is not me. It is not what I write. If it is anointed by the Spirit of God, it is powerful. And if it is not, it is not. It is all in Him. And that's what Paul is saying. He is saying that it is in my weakness that His power is manifest. It is when I recognize that there is nothing within me, but it is all in Him that I have then His power. But as long as you and I are trying to do it in our strength, I think the Lord stands back and says, well, go to it. And we know what we produce. How do we receive His strength? And how do you receive it this Christmas? What does He say? Those who wait on the Lord will receive new strength. Now, the word wait can be used in a passive sense or in an active sense. For instance, it is used in a passive sense when a parent says to a child, Now, you sit right here and don't move. And if the preacher comes to talk to you, don't say anything. But just stay right here. Don't do anything. That is in the passive sense. That's the way that it was used in 1 Kings chapter 17 when the Lord said to Elijah, I want you to stay here at the brook Cherith, and I'm going to take care of you. I don't want you to do anything. I just want you to stay here. I'm going to provide you with food. I'm going to provide you with water. just want you to stay here. don't want you to do anything in a passive sense. It was used that way in Acts chapter 1 verse number 4 concerning the disciples when Jesus commanded them not to leave Jerusalem but to wait for what the Father promised. You see, we can't do the ministry apart from the Holy Spirit. So Jesus said, you just wait right here. Now, most of the time, we don't want to wait. Most of the time, we want to do something. In fact, I grew up with my, with my mother especially saying to me, don't just sit there, do something. And so you didn't just sit there. You were, you were doing something. But there are times when God says to us that you are to wait. 
So it is used in a passive sense, but it is also used in an active sense. For instance, a waiter or a waitress at a restaurant waits on the table. That is an active sense. Now, what does it mean in Scripture when it says that we are to wait on the Lord in an active sense? Let me give you three Scriptures that I believe defines what that means. First of all, it means to long for God. In Psalm 62.1, the psalmist wrote, My soul waits in silence for God only. So it means a longing for God, the longing of your heart for God. And that's the way it was when Jesus was born. There was a longing for the Messiah. There was an anticipation of the Messiah. So to wait on the Lord means to long for Him. It means to listen to God. In Proverbs 8, verse 34, Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorpost. And here is a picture of a man who's listening to God. Let me ask you, do you listen to hear from God? When you come to church, do you say, God, I want you to say something to me today. I'm listening. If you come to the Christmas pageant, are you there saying, God, speak to me. I'm listening. When you go to Sunday school, do you say, speak to me. I'm listening. Teach me something, God. When you read your Bible, or is it just a ritual that you go through? Or you say, God, speak to me. I'm listening. To wait on God means in part to listen to God, and then it means to look to God. Psalm 104, 24 through 27, O Lord, how many are thy works in wisdom thou hast made them all. There is the sea, great and broad, in which are swarms without number, animals both small and great. There the ships move along, Leviathan, which thou hast formed a sport in it. They all wait for thee to give them their good in due season. And the picture that he is painting for us there is how the animals look to God. They are dependent upon God, but they are looking to God for provision. And so then to wait on God means that I am waiting for God's provision. I am looking to Him. And at this Christmas time, it is God. I am looking to you to provide me with everything that I need. Give me the strength that I need. Give me the confidence that I need. Give me the joy that I need. But God, everything I need is all in you. And so I'm looking to you to provide what I need. The promise of the Lord is to wait on the Lord and you'll gain you strength. And then there's a pledge in verse number 31. Those who wait for the Lord will gain you strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Let me say to you today, be aware of the avenues of stress during the Christmas season. There are some avenues that's from which stress comes. One is adversity. And adversity is those unexpected things that happen to us, those unexpected storms. There's going to be some things that will happen to many of you at this season that you're not expecting. And that is an avenue for stress to come to you, adversity. The other is opportunity. Those things that I want to do, but I'm fearful I can't do. An opportunity and can cause stress because now that I, I want to do that, but I'm just scared that I might not be able to. So there's adversity, opportunity, a necessity. Those things we have to do. There's a lot of things we just have to do. But through those three avenues comes stress and and the Lord addresses all three of them. I want you to look at what He says. He gives us wings to overcome adversity. In verse number 31b, they will mat up with wings like eagles. 
It's interesting that ornithologists say that an eagle can fly more swiftly against the breeze than in a gentle wind. And here's what I would say to you when adversity comes to you. You fly higher on your knees. When the storms of life come, when these things happen to you that you're not expecting, you get bad news, you have a situation, whatever it is, you'll fly higher on your knees. And so that is a call to us to go to the Lord in prayer. Wings to overcome adversity. He says, run to opportunity. In verse number 31, they will run and not get tired. Christmas provides some wonderful opportunities. It really does. The opportunity to be with your family. I mean, I, I know that for some of you that's a fearful thought, but it's a great opportunity to be with your family. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. You have an opportunity to be with your children. You have an opportunity to witness. You have an opportunity to just do a lot of things. Run to them. Don't run from them. Run to them. And then we walk through the necessities. In verse number 31, he goes on, they will walk and not become weary. You know, we spend most of our time not, not soaring or running. We spend most of our life walking. They're parenting necessities, responsibilities. All that you I know that your children sometimes drive you nuts. You'll get through it. I know that some of you have teenagers and you think, what am I going to do with this thing? They're going to grow up and be wonderful. They really will. You, do, you know, there's a lot of problems they have 10 years will cure. And you'll look back and say, well, you know, I, they, I just didn't think they were going to make it, but they turned out pretty good. You just walk through that. Their responsibilities at work, you're going to get it done. You'll do fine. You'll get it done. Their church responsibilities, fulfill them for His glory. Lord, I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'm exhausted. These people are driving me nuts. Just serve the Lord for His glory. You see, Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So what I want to say to you as we celebrate the birth of Christ, don't forget the real meaning of Christmas. There's a lot of opportunity for stress, but Jesus is the answer for you and for me today. He's the answer. Focus on Him. Everything else will be all right. Our Father, we thank You so much for the wonderful message of Jesus. Thank You for our Savior. And Lord, I pray today for some who have never come to know the blessed Savior, that today they might. I pray for those who, who need to become a part of our church. I pray that they'll feel welcome. And I pray, Lord, that they'll want to serve here. Bless this invitation time in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in just a moment, we will stand. The choir will sing. It's an opportunity for you to say yes to Jesus. Whatever, whatever He says to you, just say yes to Him. If you've not been saved, trust Him today. Looking for a church home? Our door's open to you. Stand with me, please, as we stand and sing. You come, I'll greet you as you do.